Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is my first episode on a 2019 release, and it's on glass. I'm happy to be joined again by my friend Graham Hall. It's been a couple months. Graham, how's it going? Hey, buddy. Good to be here. Yeah, it has been a few months, and, and I had talked to you, I think, back in October of last year about my movie-going experience and how it had changed. I had signed up for Cinemia. Didn't work out. Shout out to them. I, I waited 10 weeks, didn't get my card, and was kind of tired of paying convenience fees. And I was kind of tired. Uh, it just kind of wrapped up and unable to go to movies at a time. And so now I'm kind of playing catch-up. And, and seeing a 2019 release right when it camp comes out is rare, I, I <laughs> guess, for me. Because 2019 and Jan, you know, the, not 2019, but January is always kind of regarded as a movie dump where studios dump movies that are not highly rated, but, but glass, which, which were, well, glass isn't highly rated, but it's funny because yeah, that, that is true it, what you're saying, were high but that was kind of changed. That was kind of changed. It split two years ago. You know, they split came out on the same weekend in January, 2017 and was like very well received, which is kind of the, I don't want to say the prequel to this. Cause there's like, this is kind of an internet connected universe that M night Shyamalan has created, but split was a big hit. It was very critically well received. It's like, Oh, well maybe this will be M night Shyamalan's new thing where he takes over this weekend every two years. And, I mean, I think it made enough money, but like uh, certainly wasn't received that well. And um, just to give a little background before we jump into it, uh, so uh, two years ago, M. Night Shyamalan had Split, which uh, was a vehicle, a James McAvoy vehicle, where his character, Kevin Wendell Crumb, who ended up having split personalities, several of which, which were on display throughout that movie, one of which was a beast, which could kind of get bigger and could do crazy stuff. Uh, at, the end of that, at the end of that movie where he's kind of run off, you were shown – uh, a clip in a diner. I think it might be after after the credits, actually, uh, of Bruce Willis's character David Dunn from M Night Shyamalan's 2000 movie Unbreakable. Very quickly, just him watching news of the Beast, and then it's cut to black. And soon after that movie came out, we heard that oh, yep, M Night Shyamalan had somehow brokered some kind of deal between Disney, which put out Unbreakable, and Universal, which put out Split, which gave him the rights to David Dunn as a character, and he was going to do some kind of movie that kind of brought together those two movies and. Uh, brought together both the James McAvoy's character, Bruce Willis's character, and Samuel L. Jackson's Elijah Glass from Unbreakable. And here we are. So, Graham, I guess my first question for you is, uh, did you like Split, and what did you think of that final twist at the end, and uh, were you really excited for Glass, and what were you hoping to get from it? I did like Split. I, I think there are a lot of people out there that thought Split was amazing, and I, I don't certainly fall into that category. I think it was really, really good, but more so even than unbreakable they relied on mcavoy to be the the driving star of the movie and he was playing like you said you know we've seen Lindsay lohan play twins we've seen people play several versions of themselves but but mcavoy had to play quote unquote several characters 17 and, and or something like that. 17 24 whatever the number is yeah. and, and and he was with a few relatively unknown stars. The, the the woman in that movie did go on to be in Thoroughbreds and, and was in this movie as well. Well, Anya Taylor-Joy had broken out. He, a, she'd broken out with The Witch a few months before that. I don't gotcha, know if you've seen The Witch. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And 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 basically, uh, I mean, I, I was impressed with McAvoy carrying it. But it's a movie, again, that isn't heavy on storyline. You aren't getting a whole lot of you know, six cents or, or signs. It's not like that where things happen over multiple days and it's multiple set pieces. It's really just most of the movie takes place in this one dungeon basement. You know, yeah. uh, it's a brick warehouse. And, you know, Unbreakable is this movie that has two huge stars, so very different movies. So I was initially surprised that they were combining them. And I had seen Unbreakable 
uh, before, you know, I, I actually saw Unbreakable after Split, but a few months ago. So I had not seen. Oh, you hadn't seen um, the teaser. Unbreakable. Yeah, I, I had seen the teaser and I understood from reading about Split before it came out that that it was related to Unbreakable. But I, I didn't see Unbreakable until after seeing Split, actually, back in 2018. So this was something where after seeing Unbreakable, I thought that movie was far better than Split. And I think Split, you know, M. Night Shyamalan has had a quote unquote resurgence in the last five, 10 years, whatever. The Visit was, I thought, was a good movie. And Split was pretty decent as well after a terrible movie like The Happening that probably could have ruined his career. The Happening and, after Earth, and Lady The Last the Airbender, Lady in the yeah, Water. It was, a, it was sure. a rough stretch for him. There was a really, I mean, so this looks like another, you can call it a cash grab, what have you, but it, it gave him an easier next idea to make a movie as a sequel to Unbreakable while having this recent character in there. And I think a lot of people have now, as they have sat back and, and looked back at M. Night Shyamalan's career for the last two decades, have often said that Unbreakable um, may be his best film. And I think rightfully so. I mean, so, there's always going to be people who say Sixth Sense and Signs, but, but Unbreakable is a different take on the comic book genre back when the genre was still definitely struggling and we didn't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, you know, you know, smartphones weren't even around and, and this movie still holds up relatively well, even so that I would say that the strength of Glass was Bruce Willis and and Samuel L. Jackson's characters, Elijah Glass and David Dunn. I would say that they were the strengths. And that speaks to how now sitting back, looking at Split, I see it as a movie that they threw that scene there at the end to give M. Night Shyamalan an, an excuse to make a quote unquote unbreakable two in a sense and wrap up. Um, you know, at the end of Unbreakable, he he goes off to fight crime. But you, as you know, the, it's a movie about comic books. There's never really a happy ever, you know, after in comic books. There's never just a, oh, he disappears, the hero disappears into the darkness. And he was supposed to assume everything's fine. That's not often how it works out. So I thought that that was very interesting. Well, that I guess I guess interesting is the word to use. But you know, some people say it was cheap. Some will say it was a cash grab. But it seemed like M Night Shyamalan had you know, for the last two decades had some unfinished business with unbreakable and, uh, it shows this movie and unbreakable, how far he really has fallen off over the last two decades. Well, I think it's interesting. I hadn't really done a lot of comparisons of split versus unbreakable in my head. Like even thinking about which one I like better. I think it's interesting because they are two very different movies and I, and they're trying to do very different things. You know, Splits is not a superhero movie at all. There's really not a protagonist. It turns into being the Casey character, uh, but for a long time, it's just trying to figure out what's going on with this dude. So I think once you the, the teaser came out and we at the end of that movie and we knew that this was going to be a thing, he's like, oh, well, Unbreakable, he was obviously trying to put his own spin on the superhero genre. Here he's kind of like bringing it full circle where David Dunn actually has like a legitimate nemesis. And uh, whereas like Elijah Glass, while interesting and in his own right, isn't someone that's really he's not going to fight him because he's physically incapable of doing so. So I, I don't really know how I thought Glass Elijah was going to work into this movie. But we were like, man, we're going to get like a we're going to get a, a beast versus David Dunn fight and it's going to be awesome. And and then they give us that fight in the first five minutes and it's you can debate how compelling it actually is. And then this movie uh, turns into something totally different. But it is a lot of talking about superheroes. And I mean. I don't. My question to you is because I'm still trying to pr figure it out myself. Uh, what do you think? I mean, M Night Shyamalan is trying to say or do with the super, uh, say about or do with the superhero genre? Because, I mean, 
I, I don't really think it's a superhero movie. I think he, but there's a lot of talking about superheroes. So what do you think his goal was with that? And do you really think he accomplished it or f- did anything all that fulfilling with it? That's a good question. I, I think that probably the thing that I thought about the most was how people or they portray Sarah Paulson's character as one who is very pessimistic and, and uh, critical. And she doesn't really believe at all that these guys could have, you know, powers in any sense. And maybe it was a commentary on today's day and age, even though we've seen the trope in, in every comic book movie where the, you know, the public service officials try to stop the vigilante for whatever, whatever reasons. Um, It seemed like, Maybe, if anything, they were using it as a commentary on mental illness and how people try and explain away phenomenons or, or something, whatever. I mean, when they were looking at their nobs or their, their, their whatever, their lobes of the brain and saying, um, you know, oh, this is you've shown signs of possibly having this disease that could cause you to have these delusions. You know, I thought maybe that was, if anything, a a commentary, but if anything, what you just said, those 45 minutes in there of, of just straight theorizing, you know, being philosophical about comic books and superheroes in, in what makes a superhero in today's day and age, all that stuff was, was very boring for me after establishing in unbreakable nearly what, 19 years earlier, that clearly he survived the train wreck we know he has powers why are you trying to like spend so much time talking them out of that exactly undermining everything that you created in unbreakable just to rehash some old plot lines of not doubting i mean the kid didn't doubt david dunn already doubted himself and i mean bruce willis was a very vin diesel-esque character in this movie where he didn't really say much and i was kind of surprised they didn't write more lines for him to like defend himself or or anything like like Sarah Paulson's character never even gave them a chance to prove that they were quote unquote superheroes. I mean, at least him. She was just talking about the water, I guess, as a reference to him drowning as a kid, it being his weakness. But saying that's his weakness is kind of like acknowledging that he has a power. I don't know. There was just some very weird tropes and plot devices in there that I was frustrated at. I mean, and the movie is long. The movie is longer, I think, than Split and Unbreakable are. And it doesn't accomplish nearly as much in its runtime. And it's an epic, epic... I I feel sad being so critical, but... I wanted it to be good, too, man. Um... I did want it to be good, and... I, I'm a, I was a big fan of Unbreakable after seeing that, and I would see it again. It's definitely, I think it holds up extremely well, and, because it's especially, when you look at the superhero movies we have now, they're all so quick, right in your face, rapid fire, plot point, plot point, you know, plot point. And this is, Unbreakable is a slow burner, and it takes you an hour and 45 minutes to get to the end, and that's, you know, the ending is a revelation of a superhero versus supervillain and to pretty much not expand on that in any sense. I mean, it was a huge disappointment. And then, you know, I'm ready to get into the, into the, the ending with you about 
Sarah Paulson and the the yeah, Clover I, I, people. Yeah, and, let's, wow. let's just say I, I didn't know where a good place would be to drop off on that and just jump into spoiler territory. But I think there obviously is a pretty clear delineation of what the spoiler territory is in this. So before we sign off, I think we'll both say like for people that haven't seen the movie that are listening, if you just want to be a completist with this trilogy, if that's what you want to call it, sure go see it. It's the slow time of year for movies. I'd recommend rounding out Oscar season movies before you prioritize this one. But I'm kind of with Graham in that like. I, I I just don't think and like I asked Graham that superhero question. I don't think M Night Shyamalan had a very good answer for what he was trying to do with that. What he was trying to say about the genre, and I thought he could have gone different ways in dealing with some of these different tropes and put unique spins on them, whether it be turning on the vigilantes or uh, something like that. And it just doesn't do that. There's a lot of sitting around a psych ward and. It doesn't really go where you want it to go, and he tries to use some traditional Shyamalan twists at the end. It's not a spoiler to say there's twists because this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie, and I, 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 I don't really think it works. But uh, for those who have seen it, we're going we're gonna to jump into the spoiler section now, so you can go away and come back if you feel like seeing it or just keep listening if you are care to listen and aren't going to care to see the movie. But I'm where I, well, I'll start, Graham, is that I'm glad you made the point about – Vigilantes, because that is a very tired trope for me in superhero movies where the law enforcement or whoever it might be turns against our hero, and even though the audience already has all the information to know that that's the wrong thing to do. Like, we see it a lot. And I think an interesting, like, twist on that would would be to have them actually not necessarily turn on them because they're the bad guys because we know Bruce Willis is the good guy. And I think they kind of acknowledge that he's being a vigilante, not that he's doing anything purely evil. They just think that's dangerous. And I think it's, it'd be an interesting spin to be like, look, uh, we know you're not trying to hurt anyone, but like the fact is uh, if you're out there doing these kind of things, it, it, when you have super he- he- people out there, even if they're good ones, it's going to attract bad ones, and then bad shit's going to happen. And we've seen this play out on a larger scale in the Marvel movies. That's a large reason for why a, a big threat of civil war and some of those is trying to regulate them because it does cause collateral damage. And a, a unique spin on that is just like, how about we just can try and brainwash them and convince them their powers don't exist or kill them off so it won't invite like evil people to be their opposites. But I don't think the movie puts in the proper has, – has its priorities in the right place for the majority of time to properly set that up. It kind of alludes to these this organization that Sarah Paulson's a part of, but it throws so much there in like the last like 15 minutes – that I, I just don't think it actually fully develops that idea that I think potentially could have been an interesting twist on a pretty tired superhero trip. Here's what here's what the movie should have done, okay? When James McAvoy's character is leading Mr. Glass out through the tunnels and he hides, you know, no one, the best part about um, the guy from Split, James McAvoy, Mm-hmm. The, the best part about his character is that you go through the whole movie and the audience is very, very familiar with what he looks like. But in the beginning of the movie, everyone is looking for him. He should have, you know, they should have shown some scenes of him looking up Mr. Glass from, you know, 15, 20 years ago, finding out that this criminal mastermind was housed in a psychiatric ward, you know, 20 minutes from him. Um, in, in the same town, and he should have broken in as a nurse, broken out Mr. Glass, and then you have this movie in the city where David Dunn is trying to stop both of them. I mean, that's a movie right there, right away, right, right there. I mean, this movie is, I mean, you have these two good versus evil battle and, and, and actual superheroes in a realistic setting, and you lock them up hmm. in a psychiatric hospital. Is them sit stationary I mean, in a room talking about stuff? No that one we, would we, watch we a Batman yeah. movie where he's locked up in a jail cell for an hour and a half, and he's unable to use you know the Batmobile and all his gadgets. No one would watch that movie unless it was part of a 
a linear timeline and, and you knew that it wouldn't all be undermined in the very end. Well, and, and I think part of what's interesting about these movies is that I don't need it to be just like a Batman movie. These are lower budget movies. It's kind of trying to say, what if superheroes existed in a more hyper-realistic world than what we get in a Batman movie or any of the Marvel movies? But I think there is still a way to get that and give us the kind of movie you're talking about. I actually kind of like the scene. I don't know how much I like the fight itself, but I like the scene where he was working with his son to try and track down uh, James McAvoy at the beginning. His son's actually played by the guy that plays the son in the original which is pretty interesting. Like, and the yeah. same mom. It's the same actress who played Mr. Glasses. Uh, same actress who played Mr. Yeah, Glasses. He's actually older than Samuel L. Jackson's yeah, older than her like too, which is kind of yeah. fun. <laughs> he's about to turn seventy. But it, regardless, like I actually like that. I, and I, it, it, all of it, like all of his movies, it's set in Philadelphia. I'm a Philadelphia native. I, it would have been cool if they could have shot around Philadelphia and had cool scenes where he's tracking him. And and then they ultimately have some fights and stuff like that. And as we discussed, they decide to sit him in a room and have these conversations, questioning the existence of their powers, which we know are real and it's just it just shows that the movie just wasn't interested in the things that we're interested in and it made for a pretty boring experience in my opinion no i totally agree and i i really didn't like it and i guess now you and i should touch on the twist which is it's revealed um that uh combs's father james mcavoy's father was on the train that uh, derailed 19 years ago in the beginning of unbreakable uh, and, and as Samuel Jackson, Mr. Glass is sitting there, you know, dying, he's laughing, saying this is an origin story all along. And I guess this is M. Night Shyamalan's way of commentating that I guess origin stories are typically tied to the parents and either it's all about predisposition and sometimes good versus evil, uh, is about, you know, often where you come from. And I, I guess if anything, that's maybe what his commentation on commentary is on. Uh, but I really just found the twist twist boring and kept waiting for there to be some bigger reveal. And I guess there kind of was with the whole government being out to eliminate all these people who had super superpowers. Um, but overall, I, I thought that in terms of M. Night Shyamalan twist, it has to be some one of the weakest ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, how like, you know, like you, you kind of your parents and or lack thereof can have a pretty big effect on you. But it, I mean, it's not like he, you know, he died in a train accident. You know, it's like it's for us to be like, oh, well, maybe if Glass had never done that, then he doesn't turn into this guy with severe mental problems. And I that's just a very large leap to make. And it makes the twist seem rather tacked on and not all that essential and pretty pointless and uh, unnecessary. And it's like you could have done away with that and done away with half of the therapy scenes in this movie and actually uh, maybe done a little bit more with the with the other characters. I mean, you have the son there as the parallel to David Dunn. You have Glass's mom there with him, and you have that flashback. And I don't really know if, if that is totally enough. And on top of that, I really don't. I really think it missed the mark with respect to the Casey character. You know, I think we both noted that we liked her performance in Split, but he does let her go at the end. But there's really nothing that like. And it's. I think only a few, like a, a couple of months at most, is supposed to have elapsed between Split and the events of this movie. And you don't really understand why she's so sympathetic towards him. You know, I thought she had Stockholm syndrome for a minute. I'm like watching her and they're like, she's like willing to go back to this guy who had freaked her out. And it might be that, but like you never, pipe. you mean, never really saw that in split. If that was the case, wild. I just don't think it yeah, was very well I'd set up cop out. It was a cop out. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think he said, he's not going to revisit this universe, which is fine. I didn't need him to create an all out 
cinematic universe of these characters, but it's just it's very unsatisfying, you know. I mean, the way they he has has them die, and it's like you know, now that he filmed everything, they're gonna release the footage, and then hopefully Glass is hoping that it'll uh, allow people to see these inner superpowers within them, and it's like I don't know. I mean, I mean, you 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 know if you have superpowers. And seeing what the government did to these people is not really going to make you really any more eager to, like, tell anyone about your superpowers. It's just a very strange reveal, and I don't totally understand the motivations that they were supposed to be giving him. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, were they willing to die for a good cause? I mean, Mr. Glass's motivation is that, you know, he murdered thousands of people, and all of a sudden now he wants to do good by the world and let everyone know that, there's all these. I mean, I totally didn't understand that at all. And and I mean, I mean, I, the whole thing yeah. with him having so in, in Unbreakable, you know, he has this osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a, a, a brittle bone disease. And he, I guess he he says, well, if I'm this frail, there has to be my opposite. And he wants to discover that. And I guess we're you know, as a kid, he was very into comic books, and therefore he's gonna try and have this kind of escapism type of mentality where he wants to live in this world where these things are real and his existence therefore is kind of the existence of someone of the opposite and that's how why he pulls off the whole train heist in the first place but and that makes sense as crazy as it might be but i i I just think you got to book in that story better and it's a waste of a pretty good performance like i agree with you i think the mcavoy thing as fun as it was in split i think it got a little tiresome here and yeah they try to make you feel sympathetic for him and i i'm totally not attempting to buy that whereas, at yeah, all. whereas i think mr glass is a more complex and inherently sympathetic character and i don't think it really i don't think it served that character as well as it could have as as fun as i liked samuel l jackson's performance you know and i just i i, I don't know i it's it, the, the movie tries to do so much stuff in like this these last 15 minutes and after not really giving us much of anything all that exciting before then you know it's like when it finally gets to some action it tries to throw in so much content in 15 minutes whereas the stuff with the secret agency or the stuff with like what he what his ultimate big picture goal is that could have been spread out across this whole movie instead of just having them have these pointless conversations in a room yeah i think that m night Shyamalan is you know, he's so used to thinking that he needs to just totally gotcha the viewer at the end that he throws so many things, you know, he throws so many things at once at the end of this movie at you. I mean, you're never once believing that Sarah Paulson is part of the secret government agency. And and I mean, because she let these guys pretty much, you know, she gets back there and they've almost gone and she's only working with them for like a weekend. And, and you're never really in that I mean, most of these things just never make any sense. They just seem cheap, as if they were looking for some way to add one more wrinkle at the very end. And and I think a lot of people are tired, you know, by now of it in a sense. I mean, credit to M. Night Shyamalan for making good movies, uh, you know, a decade ago. But but now a good twist would be not having a twist at the end for him. It's just so crazy. He did Sixth Sense when he was like 27, 28 years old and did Unbreakable when he, before he reached 32. And uh, 30 years old, that is, not 32 years old. He did those two things. And it's like, 
everyone thought he kind of found it again with with the split and the visit, like we like you, like you said earlier. And I don't. It's just disappointing, man. I was so excited for this movie because I, I I'm like you. I liked Unbreakable. I mean, like I said, I haven't done a lot of comparing, but I I, I do think Unbreakable is just a really cool feat as a movie. Um, I I like the idea of having these superhero movies in this more grounded world. And I thought, all right, well that's cool. Like I like David Dunn as a character, and like you said, Bruce Willis doesn't have a lot to say. I think he's. There's probably a lot of body double stuff going on because he's wearing the hood, even though if it is a practical reason because he probably can't get wet from the rain. Uh, and I just – I was excited to revisit that character and to see him you know, have to kick ass, and we just, we, we just don't really get enough of that and enough to really like justify this movie's existence, and it's sad. Uh, and I, I don't know, man. I don't really have a lot of other points. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts before we sign off? No, it's 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 very underwhelming. It's even more so if you don't even factor in the expectations, because the two movies that come before it laid a great framework that where these two realistically could have been combined even. But I, I think that the more I think about it, he used Split as a leaping off point to make Unbreakable 2 because he never was able to find a good idea for Unbreakable 2. And it shows that. 20 years on, it's hard to replicate the success of those first two movies for M. Night Shyamalan, even so when he has characters to use from his successful movies from two decades ago, and he has plot points and, and enough, he still can't find a convincing narrative and it just basically We already gave him one in this podcast, though. We already gave him one in this podcast. I, th- I, thought, I thought my idea was pretty yeah. good. I mean, that's that's just one idea that you can come up with in five minutes that would be even yeah. more convincing. And yeah, it's 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 you know stereotypical it's it happens all the time it's you know but at least it's interesting and if you can't find a way to make bruce willis and samuel jackson interesting for two hours i mean he, he spends two hours and nine minutes making samuel L. jackson and bruce willis boring and wasting a very solid james mcavoy performance and that in it of itself is probably the best feat of the movie and that's extremely sad and I th- I think there's a reason we stay home and catch up on Oscar movies <laughs> rather than going to see these new releases in you know, January. You know what else is kind of dumb? The 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 M Night Shyamalan cameo. I don't know if you remember how he was in Unbreakable. Yeah, let like, your grandpa take a walk, man. Yeah, well, well, you know, it was just like the. I actually that was like probably the best scene in Unbreakable in my opinion is that scene at Franklin Field, you know, which is the old football stadium where the Eagles used to play and where Penn still does a lot of their sports and M. Night Shyamalan's there as this drug dealer and it's really interesting. It's like I get that M. Night Shyamalan sometimes likes to give himself small parts in his movies, but it's like you didn't need to have a really clunky callback to Unbreakable. Like we know this is an Unbreakable sequel. You don't have to put yourself in there and be like, hey, I used to hang out with some unsavory characters. I remember you working there just to like all remind us that, oh, yeah, you were in your movie 18 years ago. It was unnecessary and kind of dumb. And I don't know. I just wish there had been like even a few more things I could grab onto in this movie and be like, man, if nothing else, I really like that. He used used nostalgia to – overcome narrative shortcomings the hiring of the same son who is not a prolific hollywood actor no i actually I mean, like that guy though i mean i i i sure I, he didn't I, do a bad job but i didn't reckon and I, was... hadn't, I hadn't seen unbreakable recently enough that i immediately remembered that until i was looking at it after the movie or i saw the his uh, the picture of the young version of him in the movie i thought that was cool because like i thought the kid was actually an okay actor in the movie not that he's like a great actor in real life but like, no, he did no. fine he's not bad at all i'm just saying they they used plenty of callbacks to at least appeal to the nostalgia of people who enjoyed Unbreakable 20 years ago and maybe are looking for an Unbreakable 2. And and I think this movie 
disappoints far more people who were looking for Unbreakable Two than people who had seen Split and 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 didn't hate Split um, for Split Two because I still think you get a, you do get a solid James McAvoy if if not contrived and confusing you get a solid performance from him and it's one that does add a little emotional depth if anything to his character if that doesn't accomplish anything they do give him enough of a backstory to make him at least a sympathetic character a little bit i mean i actually really like this sorry that's probably the one redeeming factor no i mean it's just you know that i'm not going to go far enough to say that you know the whole twist plot point about how you know if if his dad hadn't died on the train his mom's not burning him with the oven that's that's ridiculous but it at least fleshes out his story or attempts to and that's i think probably the most redeeming thing for people who were looking for a split to yeah i actually like the therapy scenes he had in the first movie and i was just like i guess i was just hoping that uh the therapy scenes here, which are kind of alluded to in the trailer, would have been better. And as we discussed, you know, they really aren't. Do you have a uh, before, uh, anything else you want to add? Or if not, um, Graham, where can people find you if you have something you want to plug? No, also, I just don't know why they named it Glass. I mean, if anything, Mr. Glass was probably the most disappointing character. I, I, I thought that he could have been way better in terms of his storyline. And, and you really went from believing like you're led to believe that Samuel Jackson's character committed, you know, <laughs> genocide on par with ISIS and stuff. <laughs> and then he's not even speaking for the first hour. And well, he's, he's playing the long game there. He's playing the long game. Sure. But he's confined to the psychiatric hospital. It's kind of like watching, you know, Babe Ruth in a retirement hospital. Like that's not where you're trying to watch Babe Ruth, <laughs> you know, you just go watch some older stuff. And that's pretty much what this pretty much confirmed that, not even Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis could save this. Uh, it was very unfortunate. I'm going to go back to watching Oscar movies, and hopefully we can do one of those in the next few weeks for sure. And pretty soon here, there will be some very good movies. I remember back when it was a surprise when a good movie came out in April. Now we get good movies any time of the year yeah, except I got Captain Marvel January, and, and us like. in March, and in mm-hmm. February we got the um, uh, Lego Movie too. So yeah, that's getting great reviews right now. Oh, I, I didn't know they'd already started posting reviews for that. So that's exciting. Giz, Gizmodo has a review come out that said it lived up to the incredible hype. Oh geez, man, so check that out. I, I was know, I was exactly. tempering expectations because exactly. I didn't love the Lego Ninjago movie. I like Batman. Uh, Lego Did not Batman see a lot. that one, but yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, well, you can follow me at Twitter, Graham Hall underscore Josh. Always a pleasure being here for sure, man. And and I know we'll have a lot more to recap. Sorry, what were you saying? Well, no, I was going to say before we even get to the twenty, uh, the more twenty nineteen stuff, I'm going to have one coming out on Bohemian Rhapsody. But like what Graham, I'm hoping it will join me for. Is that I'm going to do an episode where I uh, that I've been alluding to, where I'm going to have a lot of the most frequent guests for the podcast come on and give like their top ten of 2018, but also like talk about an awards category or two, including some fake awards that I like to do every year, as well as like the real ones, and kind of break those down. And I'll post that before the Oscars. So Graham, start thinking of that. If you don't have a top ten already, got to get it. And um, and we'll talk a little awards too at some point in the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Same thing on Letterboxd. So uh, everyone, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.